We've talked often about how unhelpful platitudes can often be. And part of the reason is that sometimes when we give platitudes, we're actually just trying to get the person to not be sad anymore, to not hurt anymore, to think on the bright side, to be positive. And there may be moments where a simple shift of mindset can do big things. However, sometimes what God is inviting us to is more than positive thinking. What God may actually be inviting us to is eternal thinking. After all, Jesus says in this world we will have trouble, but he leaves us his peace. He's not telling us to ignore the hardships or to pretend like they aren't there or to just smile through it. He wants us to acknowledge what is real while we also acknowledge the reality of his peace. I really enjoyed this conversation with Josh. Josh knows what it means to be at the lowest lows, and he knows what it means to acknowledge the reality of Jesus' peace. In his hardest moment, it was a glimpse of Jesus and the kindness in his eyes that made him realize that he didn't actually understand reality. And as he's come to learn more and more who Jesus is, he's realized that truth, that God is inviting us to more than positivity. He's inviting us to full life. You're listening to episode 129 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Josh and I to connect and talk. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see where you take this conversation because I really believe that there's something you want to press into on this topic of suffering that can break us out of mindsets that we might have. And so we just want to give you whatever we're bringing to the table. We just want to release it all to you, our words and our thoughts. Pray that you would guide us, guide the conversation. And I pray in all of this that you would be honored and glorified. I was praying in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Well, I'm excited that we're able to connect. We keep having things come up that cause us to shift. And right now I've got someone working on an oven, but we're pushing forward because we're having this conversation. That's right. And before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are as we step into this conversation? Well, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I was an atheist up until I was 27 years old. So that's way too much time <laughs> being an atheist and I took a lot more faith than I thought it did at the time to be that. But the Lord got a hold of me in an open vision, which is a little bit like a dream. And so if you're awake and it was very powerful, I saw the kindness in Jesus's eyes, that encounter, as I called him, it was life changing for me. And I realized when there was kindness in his eyes that I didn't know him at all. And everything I'd ever read about him or heard about him just didn't fit what I was seeing. And it put me on a journey. I very quickly found salvation and lots of healing took place. I had a lot of kind of rough past. You know, my dad committed suicide. My brother committed suicide. I was for a while, I was a drug dealer. I was terrible at it. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're involved in that kind of stuff, you see a lot of really harsh realities and you end up playing a part in, you know, things that are very destructive in people's lives and a lot of pain back there and a lot of just noise in my mind and stuff like that. God has healed me in some very dramatic ways, some of which were just miraculous and happened like right away. And then other things that took more time. He also has equipped me and he's shown me himself healing through me. And I've prayed for people and they've been delivered of demonic illness. They've been delivered of illness, you know, which I don't know if there's a difference, but apparently it seems like that sometimes there are. 
lots of confusing mysteries that I don't necessarily understand, but I've played a part in seeing some very cool things with God. And I'm just so honored. And the Lord has done a lot to rebuild me and give me a faith and disciple me personally. And of course, the church has played a massive role in that. Like I could not do that without excellent leaders and people that were willing to tell me that I was wrong and, (laughs) you know, and right sometimes and everything else. But that's my journey. My journey has come from, I was actually an atheist to pretty radical believer in some circles, you know, because mm-hmm. I definitely believe God heals and some other things. So I think that's what maybe is relevant for this conversation, at least. Yeah. Now, I really appreciate that. And already it's got my mind going on a few things. But one <laughs> of them is you and I, when we first connected, we spent some time dialoguing on this idea of suffering. And, you know, what's interesting is my last season was focused on healing. And one of the reasons I didn't want to do that is because there's so many different ideas. Like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. some people are thinking you're crazy because you <laughs> believe that God can heal. And the same thing with suffering throughout the history of the church. There have been different thoughts and beliefs on what suffering is. Mm -hmm. Should you avoid suffering? Should you pursue suffering? Uh, Should you like all these different things that can get pretty murky. And so we had already started some dialogues. But I think one of the thoughts that really stuck in my head is that anytime we're engaging in something, it's good to know about the pitfalls or risks or missteps if we're not attentive. And so when you think of this idea of suffering in the context of Christianity, right. what are some of those pitfalls? What are some of those things that if we're not careful of, we could stumble and find ourselves thinking about this in very much the wrong way? I love that we have a new covenant to at least try to understand. In that new covenant, some of the Old Testament realities are no longer our experience. Jesus really gave us a massive payday that includes an inheritance. And as believers, we're invited not into necessarily complete understanding, but at least into the exploration, the practice of our inheritance in this life. Why would we need that if God didn't believe that this reality needed some help? Jesus wouldn't have even come if God agreed with the current scenario. You know, he's like, oh, I'm good with suffering. I'm good with everything that's going on in the human experience. You know, all the lies and deception and everything that we experience in this world. I think that would be a very different God. But in this new covenant reality, it seems, at least from my take, is that we are being very much empowered and specifically empowered to address the fallenness of the world. So Jesus, of course, said it is finished. So he finished something that was keeping us from walking in this. Mm -hmm. And then he delivered us. So he died and finished something. And then he rose and started something. So in that starting something, I believe that we are equipped. And in that equipping, we don't necessarily have to settle for every reality that we experience. And there is a supernatural component that we get to take part in and at least explore. And in that exploration, in And in that humbleness of saying, okay, God, you healed in the Bible. So do you want to do this here? And I mean, even healing from suffering. Actually, I've had my fair share, believe me, (laughs) had uh, quite a bit of depression that I've dealt with and pain from different things that have happened in my past and those kind of things where I sat under suffering for a very long time and even had to fight through things like false humility and other things that were kind of trapping me and keeping me in those places. But 
thanks to this new covenant reality, I think that at least personally, I can testify that I would not have been able to rescue my personal like life and self in that way. And of course, Jesus rescued me so that I could practice some of this stuff, but I would not have been able to play a part in that if I didn't understand that I had been equipped. That to me is critical. I'm like, well, this is something that you got to at least try to walk in. It doesn't mean you have to get everything right. Yeah. What I love about that is it presses into something that keeps on coming up and it's this idea of perspective. Mm. Our default is to assume that the way we understand things is the way they are. Right. And sometimes we have the humility to recognize that we have limited knowledge or that we could be wrong. That's a harder one yeah. for us to acknowledge. The truth is what you're tapping into is that there was a reality that for a long time people just accepted for what it was. Mm -hmm. And then this guy named Jesus came and said, actually, no, let me tell you about full life. And like you said, did something, changed something that utterly shifted reality for all time. But people still had to make the decision to look at that reality or to hold to what they knew. This is why Jesus emphasized to die to all else, because he recognized like there's a lot that we're going to default to hold to. In the midst of our belief that we know, we can make assumptions based off of what we're holding on to. And there's something you said when you were sharing about yourself that really stood out to me, and I I needed to write it down. It was that you had a certain understanding about who God was and by rights, what life was until you saw the kindness in his eyes. Yeah. And that stood out to me because it gave me this image of even in human interactions, we can assume somebody is a villain, but if there's this moment of humanity, this moment where we see something different in them, we, we see the kindness in their eyes. Right. In that instant, it can change everything because what it reveals is there is something core to what we believed that once we knew it was wrong, yeah. we had to change everything else or at least start asking questions. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that piece, this reality of what does it mean if God actually has kindness in his eyes? What does that not just mean for you, but what does that mean in general for us? Yeah, I I mean, I love that question. And I think like for me as an atheist, I was working hard to make God the villain if he was real, even to the point the night before I had that experience with Jesus, I really had, you know, it was a suicide attempt. Mm. I took pills and drank a bottle of Jack Daniels and I was on my way out. And I remember saying, you know what, if you're real, then kill me. (laughs) I really don't want to live anymore. And I I was so serious and, you know, so dramatic too, but I, I really meant it. I didn't want a new life. I didn't want something else. And I was really hoping that would be the end. And three hours later, maybe three or four hours later, I woke up feeling refreshed and brand new. So that was so miraculous already. My mind was filled with peace where it had had just really terrible anxiety. And then all this happened and I had this open vision and I see Jesus in the kindness of his eyes. And of course, it, it brought me to repentance. And when that's a scripture, the kindness brings us to repentance. But I didn't know that scripture. I didn't have a box for that kind of thing. I didn't have a box for Christianity. And I didn't know what an open vision was. I thought I had schizophrenia. So, you know, I was really experiencing some things and trying to grapple with them. I was climbing Mount Academia with everything in my life. And, you know, that was my whole focus. I was getting a master's in business administration, those kind of things. And I was so focused. I had a future in mind. And that night I was just so exhausted with working way more than I should and just pouring myself out into things that were not giving me life at all. And I was so done with my idea of the future. I was attempting suicide. And there's a long story there that I won't get into. But in short, the end result and that was like, wait, if Jesus is real, 
and he cares about me, then first of all, I know nothing about who he is. And that kindness spoke to me about, and I didn't have the language to explain this to myself, but I realized that every thought that I'd ever had wasn't relational when it came to Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't think of him as being personable in the first place. Mm -hmm. My idea of God was the Santa Claus experience. He's checking a list, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He's trying to figure out if I'm naughty or nice, you know, kind of all the time. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty much all he was about, you know, lighting candles or something with his beard and (laughs) whatever, whatever it was, you know, it just wasn't an accurate understanding of his personal nature. Mm -hmm. And so what I was dealing with was I was orphaned in a spiritual sense and I had no father. I had no brother. I had no connection. And that connection had left me without any resource to be able to survive. And in that moment, this wasn't a movie where (laughs) everything just happened all at once. That moment set me up for something that I could not explain. And that set me on a journey where I was looking. Of course, God had this whole thing planned out, which is crazy. And about two weeks later, I ended up in a situation where I was able to actually confess with a pastor that I need Jesus really bad. My whole life doesn't make sense. And so he had all that planned out, but I didn't know that, of course, I was being set up (laughs) and everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that kindness is, I think, at least an invitation to all of us. Uh, It became my ministry eventually. And like I've been saved for about 15 years. A lot of what I experienced just showed me that he wasn't just real for me, he was real for other people. So what I experienced personally, I ended up being able to give away to a certain extent. That showed me something. It showed me that the things that are happening within me are something that I can extend to others. And that kindness wasn't just something that he was showing me. It was something he was giving to me. Mm -hmm. And that began to work, not just in me, but in other people's lives. And it was a big deal. And I'm probably not making it a big enough deal. I mean, it was just a really big deal. I mean, life-turning moment, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what this presses us into, too, is like we're talking about kindness within God in the midst of a world where there is a lot of suffering. And if we're talking about this idea of perspective, it presses us to actually have to ask the question of what even is suffering because it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Even when I looked it up and I wanted to see, well, let's see what Miriam and Webster have to say about it. There's a few different things, right? The most generic is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. But the thing is, is in what you're describing, I feel like there can actually be different levels at which we're talking about suffering. So there is the functional thing if we're taking it off of the pain and hardship. Yeah, there are people that experience pain that doesn't seem to go away or hardship. But distress brings another element into it. Mm. So when you identify as atheist, the thing is, is that there is, I imagine, an understanding of reality in which, one, like there are very few prospects for hope once things got to a certain point. Right. And (laughs) the hardships had no value, no eternal value. So it's like if this is the life and that's it, boom. So hardship is now miserable. Hardship is pointless. Mm -hmm. And thus, distress and agony can come into the mix to the point where you landed at a place where like, well, I'm calling it. (laughs) We're done. You know, we can look at scripture at another time that somebody suffered. And so Luke 9.22, it says, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But the thing is, we see a depth of his pain, right? In Gethsemane and on the cross, he calls out. But 
he did not embody distress as a person. There was something else that mm. he embodied. He embodied a hope and an understanding. And so while he was physically suffering, right. internally, there was something different going on. And I think this is when we've talked before, I think this is a big piece of it is yeah. there may be a difference between hard situations of suffering and how we position ourselves in the midst of that. That's good, Paul. You know, all of this just makes me think and process. I know that in my position as an atheist, I do some recovery ministry and get to sit with guys and do some, you know, inner healing and stuff with them. And, you know, a lot of them are really in some dark places. And it's always an honor because, you know, I've got hope, you know. <laughs> and, and I mean, and so many times they really do receive like a new beginning from there and they reposition themselves. And one of the things that I found was in that life of meaninglessness, kind of, I'm not sure that Ecclesiastes has a direct <laughs> line to that, but there are some things in there. But yeah, that meaninglessness of what is this for? Was so heavy and it took me down into the depths of suffering in a way that I felt like a proper name for it would have been hell on earth. I mean, you know, mm. so I'm sure that the real hell or whatever is like infinitely more of that. But in my experience, that little taste of it was so disheartening and destructive and it tore me to pieces. And there's a point in the hellish realities that some people are experiencing in this life that they can't see any hope or any way out. They can't even see themselves anymore. They don't know where they matter or how they could pick up the pieces and stuff like that. They feel so lost. And that to me is at least a taste of hell that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And of course, it motivates me to minister. I mean, that's... That's where I get my call to evangelism from. And that's what put me out in the streets of like San Diego, praying for the sick and things like that. Like it was always like this. I don't want people to experience the hells that I've experienced. And I really want to do whatever I can to help them out of the position because that's a position, at least while we're alive. And I'm not trying to throw a bunch of theology out here, but at least while we're alive, we have the opportunity to reposition ourselves. And gosh, I love Colossians and Ephesians, you know, they're talking about we are repositioned, not just somewhere else, but we're repositioned in heavenly places. Like our reality now is with Christ and that position. Okay, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no suffering in heaven. Like every tear gets wiped away. You know, like that position is amazing. In Colossians 3, it really says like we got to put our mind on these things. We got to think on heavenly thoughts. Don't spend time down here in the muck all the time. Like put your thoughts on heavenly realities because in that we're actually being able to experience and be a part of what's happening in heaven. And then, of course, the Lord's Prayer is like, don't just leave it there like on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take some of this position and release it all around us. That to me is like wildly inspiring. That's where I get my energy. I'm like being equipped with that, you know, <laughs> like, okay, well, you know what? I know you're sick here on earth, but if you were in heaven, you would not be sick. So let's pray for that, you know, and that's where I'm getting that from. And in that effort, I'm really trying to reposition them. So there's a mindset that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. But there's a spiritual reality that is, from the way I read the Bible, is pretty simple. It's just like, hey, Jesus loves you. <laughs> yeah. If Jesus loves you and brings you into his family and you're part of the family, then you're here. You're repositioned just like that. 
And mindset might be another layer of like complication, like you thinking that and actually believing it is going to require some faith. But the Bible says we all have faith. We were all born with faith. We can't make it through a day without faith. As soon as we're conceived, we have faith. It is still supernatural, even in the womb. So in some way, shape or form, before we even become a believer, there's something supernaturally available to us that we can utilize to bring about the beliefs, that bring about the behaviors, that bring about the ideas. And all that kind of flows together and those things. I think that's how we at least, you know, climb out of some of these pits and some of these positions that just really stick us and make us feel like there's no hope. Yeah. You know, one thing that's been interesting in all the conversations I've been having is those moments where you're trying to seek God Mm -hmm. and you're trying to have an internal mindset and then things get worse. Or they at least don't get better, but sometimes they get worse. Right. And this mindset piece is so important because a lot of times if we're looking at that Merriam-Webster definition where it's hardship and distress are kind of commingled, the distress really comes when we have made a decision about what hardship is or isn't permissible (laughs) or to what extent we should have to experience something. And when we make that decision that that shouldn't be happening to me, Mm. well, then that's where the distress comes in. When we make that decision that we no longer have the capacity, that's when that agony comes in. And it's making me think of two individuals. The first is the Apostle Paul, who had this long list of hardships Mm -hmm. that he went through. (laughs) Long list of hardships. But his mindset was in a place where he, one, recognized that he was given an invitation by Jesus to experience the hardships. (laughs) Jesus made it very clear, like, you're going to go through some stuff, (laughs) right? And so because he knew that that was coming, because he knew that that was the invitation, He was able to accept that in such a way where as they were happening, people around him were like, oh, no, this is bad. Oh, no, like we got to get you out of here before you get arrested. Oh, no, like this is a really interesting thing. I was just reading through Acts and in the later part of it, he's kind of doing his farewell tour and he's going to people that he's invested in. Yeah. And some of them come up to him and scripture says through the spirit, they discerned that if he went to Jerusalem, bad things were going to happen. Yeah. And so their human understanding, their mindset said. Bad things are bad. We love Paul. Therefore, he cannot go to Jerusalem. Like that was their deduction. And it was a logical one, right? Like, And it was spiritually discerned Mm -hmm. that this would happen. But they had added something to it. They had added an implication that, therefore, the hardship should be avoided. That must be what God's telling us. Right. The Apostle Paul's like, no, no, I'm supposed to go. I'm aware. I'm aware bad stuff's going to happen, but I'm supposed to go. So like our mindset can actually have us react in ways that aren't what God's inviting us to. Mm, That's good. And so then Paul, of course, goes through all this. And then he's like, I've learned the secret to being content in all situation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Like he is not in a suffering place internally, even as he is going through hard stuff and eventually killed. Yeah. And then it also makes me think of a recent guest, Jim, who said something really I loved it. He was processing how much he hated the suffering that he had gone through. He wrote a book called The Suffering Guy. Uh, And and his wife had gone through some tremendous health issues. And as her husband, he went through it as well with her. And there's just so much suffering. And it just was struck me that he was like, I hate the suffering. I hate the suffering. But but you know, if if God came up to me and he gave me the option of taking all of this away, I don't know that I would choose it. Wow. And he reflected on it, like part of it was because of the ministry that God had opened up to him because of this, Mm -hmm. the opportunities like you of how he's able to walk alongside others. And he's like, 
I don't know that I would take that deal. And I've heard this sentiment many times. Yeah. Even this one guest that keeps on coming up and even her husband is on Darcy Steiner. Like I remember that was one of the first moments that really stood out to me where she was like, I mean, I would love to be able to walk like I used to walk, but it's through the suffering that I've experienced, I've actually grown closer to God. Mm. And so I don't know that I would take that away or change that <laughs> because being close to God is worth far more than a comfortable life or perfect mobility. Yeah. So I think you're right. You know, mindset is so important. And the flip side is what you described. When we're tricked into believing that there is no hope, right. we're tricked into believing that there is no way out. We're tricked into believing that there is no purpose. And when we resign to those things, mm. man, it's indescribable how destructive internally that is. It is. How does someone, though, adjust their mindset? Let's say they're at that place where they're leaning into the no hope, no way out, no purpose, but they want to believe what you're saying about in eternity, something's different. And so, you know, the kingdom can come now, so life can be different now. Right. How do they make that mental shift? You asked the best questions. I really love this, too, because there really is a lot of hope here. Personally, I talked about the anxiety, and that was probably one of the biggest miracles for healing I've ever seen because, I mean, I had a front row seat. I was right there. It was my mind, and I went from spaghetti thoughts of every direction to, I mean, what I know now is like perfect peace. I mean, I just had a language for it, but then I even knew like, wow, I feel so, I, it was like there was some kind of liquid to it. You know, I felt it, you know, I could feel it, and, uh, and I was full of it somehow. But in order for my mind to do that, that had to have been a miraculous healing. Like, I mean, on the level of almost like a leg growing back or a limb or something, mm. you know, I mean, that is a wild miracle. I mean, if you get into like a little bit of brain science and stuff like that, I mean, you know, that stuff just doesn't happen in three hours, three to four hours, you know, and it takes time for us to kind of reestablish what they call the super highways of information and flow on of our mind, the dendrites and all these things, even though it can be done, the brain is amazing. It's kind of like the lizard tail it can actually grow back. It's the only part of our body that we can damage and it can still grow back. So it is possible, but for it to happen in that short of a period of time is, you know, impossible. <laughs> so there had to have been a factor that came in there and had a word and that had some kind of ability to change it. And that's the supernatural impact. So I feel like it's important to think of these things kind of like a Venn diagram. You know, you've got the three circles and they're all kind of overlapping each other. And right in the middle, there's like a little trap. In those three circles, you know, you've got your mindset in one of them. And another one, you've got your powers, your spiritual reality of whatever it is. That's one of those circles. And then the third circle is kind of like your community, your doctrine, all that kind of stuff. And right in the middle where they're all overlapping, that's like a trap or it's your freedom. Mm -hmm. So it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's these three parts. So whenever we're thinking, oh, I've just got to think more positive. I love that. But there's also the potential that you're whitewashing your thoughts. You know, there's no reality in what you're thinking. And behind them, there's no actual belief. There's something that's not actually real. So you're declaring, I'm not suffering or something like that. And that can be one of the most painful statements that anybody can ever make because they're just hiding something that's really happening within them. Mm -hmm. And their own perception of reality, no matter what anybody else says, your subjective experience, it matters to you. You don't get to change out your, <laughs> your own self. I mean, these, these things almost don't need to be said, but sometimes it's helpful to remind us that this is our body. We're going to live here the rest of our lives, you know. Our perception of our reality is absolutely, it's our truth, you know. 
when we get stuck in those whitewashed, and some people even call them faith statements and stuff like that, faith works differently than that, you know, but it's spiritual. So that's part of this then thing. So you can make a spiritual statement like and declare out a truth like I have a future, I have a hope. And that can be very powerful, but it just can't be whitewashed. Mm -hmm. It has to actually have some substance to it. And that's where the faith comes in. Faith empowers belief, but if you don't believe it, then it's just a whitewashed idea. So that's why positivity has its limits, mm -hmm. because positivity may help our mindset, but if there's no spiritual, supernatural reality, no component of that, then the transaction really isn't taking place. It needs to, you know, like we might have something nice to say about ourselves, and sometimes it's even hiding the pain and making it worse. So in a lot of ways, as Christians, we're invited into this extremely empowering reality where not only can we change the spiritual realities that we suffer or, or that we enjoy because, you know, heaven and earth angels are good and there's bad ones. You know, <laughs> so, you know, we can fill our thoughts with the things of heaven, as Colossians says, or we can fill our thoughts with the difficulties of earth in that scenario. So we've got that spiritual thing that we can actually be empowered to address when it's out of whack, when it's off kilter, when it's not working for us, unbalanced. And our mindsets, everybody in the world has the ability to get good advice in our world, especially with all of the internet and everything. We can look it up, we can find it out, we can get a good quote every single day, et cetera. That's mindset stuff. You know, so we can address that too. And then the systems and the things that we deal with, our community and those kind of things, sometimes that has to be changed. Just one example, I do often recommend that people move from a place where they've lost a loved one and those kind of things. And they don't have to take my advice. But the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes that whole like little system. It just keeps repeating the pain and it's just unhealthy. And maybe you don't stay away forever, but can be a real effective solution to help with that system so that you can kind of change that. And see, the problem with only addressing one of these things is that the other two may pull us back into the trap and they'll keep us. But the good news is that we can work and kind of develop our mindsets based on biblical principles. We can develop our spiritual understanding based on biblical principles, and we can build our community around that. And as we do, that trap becomes a place of freedom that is indestructible. And we can actually suffer some of the most amazingly painful experiences like Paul did. And still, like at least in a sense, maintain our position of understanding that our purpose is stronger and we have eternity to look forward to, just like Jesus, the joy that's set before him. That's how he managed to go through the things that he did. So even he needed something to be looking forward to. That position ends up being a place of radical empowerment. I mean, very radical, I think is a great word for it. You become like a supernatural ninja. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's this mindset piece too that can help us to actually recognize what needs to be held onto and protected. Mm -hmm. And our human mindsets, obviously our life and our physical bodies, our health and our resources and our relationships, these are all things that have to be protected. And if there's a threat to them, if there's a loss to them, then we suffer. What's interesting about the Apostle Paul is he's also the one who said, It'd be better for me to die and be with Christ <laughs> so, because that's where it's at. But I'm going to stay because, you know, I'm supposed to stay on your behalf. And right. there's this recognition that even death has lost its sting. Yes. But before that, he gets to a point where he's reflecting on what his life was like before. And by all accounts, it was the best life. Right. He was living his best life. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was renowned. Wow, he so was good. revered. He was, you know, and yeah. then he gets to a point in life where he has 
suffered tremendously. And people would look at that and see that his current life mm-hmm. is way worse. Like, yeah. my goodness, Paul, like you have been rejected and you have been beaten. You've been left for dead and pursued and ugh, yeah. you should get back to where you were. And his response to this notion is basically, oh, now all that other stuff was rubbish. Like I counted all <laughs> absolute garbage compared to the relationship with Christ. Mindset is so hard for us because we know what we know. Right. <laughs> we just don't acknowledge what we don't know. And this is where the faith part comes in because right. faith is choosing to step towards something that you actually don't know or understand. And so when you were talking about anxiety, there is an understanding of how the human brain works and how healing works. And mm-hmm. therefore, there is no hope and no way out. Right. And the spiritual reality was this God could be like, oh, watch this. Bing. Right. <laughs> Do something. Like, you can And so we're having to operate in this space where we have to acknowledge that we don't actually know what is or isn't possible, Yeah, (laughs) that God could actually do something that cannot be done. Like it physically cannot be done and God could just do it because he's God. He's not controlled by those rules. And so I love that you brought the faith piece into it. And what's funny too, this is just a little bonus. You talked about the limitations of positivity. But what's wild is there's no limitation to negativity. In other words, positivity has a limit to how it can fix things. Mm -hmm. Negativity has no limit to how it can really junk stuff up. And when we allow negative thoughts to take root, (laughs) we can spiral fast. It's like that sentiment around it takes five positives to outweigh a negative or something like that. It's just I think it really emphasizes the power of the negative. (laughs) Negative comments, negative interactions, negative experiences. But again, it brings us back to the good news is the spiritual outweighs all that. Yeah. So you can have the worst of thoughts in your mind actively, and then you can choose to take those thoughts captive. And you don't have to now outweigh that with five positive thoughts. Right. The way that God can work can be far more profound than the worst of things going in our mind. Yeah. Man, I love all of this because really this is accessible to anyone in whatever situation they're in, whether they're in the worst suffering they've ever experienced or Mm -hmm. they're just having a really bad day. Like this is all really applicable. So let me ask you this. We're kind of prone to address this kind of stuff when we need to, like when we're in the worst of situations. Why is it valuable to start processing this now if we're not going through a hard situation? Right. I mean, yeah, in this life, we'll have trouble. Jesus almost promises us that. But, you know, we see Paul's example and he's not wrapped up in the struggle. The struggle doesn't disable him in some way. It actually empowers him. And so we have choices to make in that. But the reality of this fallen world is that we will experience some rough times. And my heart, you know, I mean, I've never felt like, oh, now that I'm feeling better and I don't have some of the illness and stuff that I experienced in my past, now I'll just go and enjoy my life. In the way that heaven empowers us or Father God and the gospel and all these narratives kind of rewrite our story, that at least a part of it is absolutely tied into us giving that away. Like there has to be a generosity and component to our experience. And that's not just an exclusively Christian idea. There's so many people that understand that, you know, one of the best things you can do for depression is to go out and volunteer your time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It helps to understand that the sustainable life of living empowered and connected to God and to the people around you and being present even and not just off in some future somewhere 
all of that, the sustainability of it hinges on us understanding that we're not alone. We are tied into every single living human soul on the planet, no matter if they're Muslim or gay or, you know, whatever your limitations are, God doesn't have those. He's reaching out to every single person. So there is an endless amount of opportunity for you to give what you receive from God. And that to me is where sustainability comes in. When we misplace that or kind of put it on a shelf and I'm too busy for that right now and all that kind of stuff. I get it. Enter is rest. You know, there's a lot going on there, but the basic core of who we are and what we're positioned to do is to have some amount of salvation influence that comes from Christ, of course, but on this fallen world. It no longer belongs to Satan and his minions and the evil that he's inspired. He is the orphan. He's the one lost. (laughs) He's the one that gets all of that and he gets to keep it forever. And uh, we don't feel sorry for him or anything that, you know, we know that God had a place for all the suffering to go. We get to understand that and begin to, you know, rage against the reality, (laughs) but in a good way, like enthusiasm in a way like we get to be completely opposite of this world um, in that I do believe there's sustainability. But believe me, I've had rough days. I would never try to tell anybody that I don't have moments of like awful things happen to me. Then I live in this world, too. But even in those moments, this is the kind of stuff that gets me through is I'm here as a servant. I am a son. I'm 100% a son of my father in heaven. And I love that and enjoy that. And I feast on the fatted calf every time he wants to invite me in, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. And I need that for my own survival. But I am a servant to the world that is around me. And that actually is, I think, at least in this life, and I don't know if that'll be internal or how it'll work, but I just feel like there's some real stability in that and understanding that we're here for others. Even though we matter, we can't love others and love God if we don't love ourselves. (laughs) If we don't love ourselves, there's a problem that's bigger than your need to follow that commandment because that is just a demonic mindset is because it's suicidal. It's self-hatred. Those things don't come from heaven. They come from the fallenness of this life. Yeah, I feel like real stability does come from just understanding your position empowers you to serve this world. Yeah. Yeah, I love that press on generosity. And I think what we struggle with is, again, it comes back to perspective, but Mm -hmm. we tend to have a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset says, I have so little to offer. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm frustrated. I have nothing left to give. My mind is spaghetti. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even think of how I can serve. Like, so there's this scarcity. It's I have a limitation to what I can do right now, whether physically or even desiring to do anything. And an abundance mindset says, even so, God has all capacity. Yes. And he's invited me to be a conduit of his love, yeah. an ambassador of Christ. And so what could it look like instead of just mustering the generosity mm. to recognize that we are capable of living in that generosity, even in our hardest spaces because of the abundance of God. Wow. And man, what that can do then, you know, when we talk about planting seeds, <laughs> that person that we end up being generous towards with our time or resources or even just presence, yeah, how that might break them from a space where they were in, where their mind was stuck into that no hope, no purpose, no way out. And suddenly, oh, here's this person giving of themselves. Like I feel seen and I feel loved. Maybe there is some value. Maybe there is some hope. Right. And this is just the beauty of how God works and what he's inviting us to. And that can happen today, (laughs) right now, no matter the situation. I feel like we could just keep on going on this, but I want to make sure I leave a space. You know, if someone's hearing this and Mm -hmm. they're like, I I love what Josh is saying, 
but I don't understand how to embrace this yet. How can people connect with you, connect with your resources, connect with what you're doing? Thank you so much for that. Yeah, my intention is really to do as much as I can in this area. I have a podcast, Abundant Encounters, and I love you know what you just said about abundance. It's definitely where I'm like, okay, if we start to learn how to get stuff from God, then we can learn how to give it away. But if we can't learn how to get it from there first, then we might have a limited, finite capacity of anything, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of the point behind Abundant Encounters. Encounters is a big word in my ministry, and I know it can sound weird. I'm not talking about aliens, I promise. <laughs> it's really just about uh, something. I needed something to kind of hold what I was meaning. The word encounters to me means any moment, the bar so low for God, any moment that you have that where you know subjectively or objectively that God is real. It doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is. I think those things, when we start to acknowledge them as being valuable, we get a chance to steward them and live our lives within them and in the economy of heaven and things like that. So I talk a lot about that on my podcast. Podcast. I write blogs and we do sessions. I have a heart for people that have not experienced God or they just feel like they've never had, you know, the doubting Thomas experience was he put his hands into Jesus's side and he declares, my Lord, my God. You know, I, I love that. I want that for anybody that needs it and is looking for that. I want to help. And I use some tools that have been amazing and God just loves to show up and I get to be a facilitator and I've had awesome testimonies from that. So there's the services on my website that just to help people experience God, feel connected to him and feel like they can hear from him and learn their purpose and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff's on my website, AbundantEncounters.com. Love to have you. I'd love to visit with you and connect with you somehow. That's great. And as we close out, is there anything else in your heart that you feel led to share? Yeah, I just would love to pray for listeners. I think that would be really cool. I love prayer. Prayer is so effective. Yeah, Lord, thank you so much for helping us to connect with you today. And thank you so much for your hope that you have. And I I pray for every listener that they would be able to receive from your heavenly supply, the abundance that you have for us. I pray that that love and their history would come to light with you, no matter where they are today, Lord, that they'd be able to look back on all the things that you've done in their life and be able to connect with you and be refreshed, be restored, be rejuvenated, be refilled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7, says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In our hardest moments, we just want to see good things. We want to see the bad things go and the good things come. In our moments where we desire to comfort others, we just want to help them to see the good things, the positive things. But this verse reveals something important. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sometimes in our efforts to see the bright side, we may actually still be holding on to transient things. Our positive thinking may be still going after transient goals. But what God's inviting us to is to hold to what is eternal, to recognize that the transient will pass, but the eternal never will. And if our hope is placed on what will never pass, that's something that can carry us farther than positivity can. And if we can grow in thinking with an internal mindset, we may find a higher capacity to navigate these light, momentary afflictions. Josh found himself at the lowest point, hopeless and ready to end it all. And Jesus met him there. Jesus didn't need to say anything. He just looked at Josh with the kindness in his eyes, and Josh saw what he couldn't have seen before, the reality of the depth of love that Jesus had for him. And Jesus has that same love for you. So no matter how hard things are, how deep the struggles, the kindness in Jesus' eyes are looking at you right now, not trying to brush off the afflictions, but show you that he is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For these hardships that we are experiencing are transient, but the things that Jesus has for us are eternal. All we have to do is be willing to open our eyes and look. And when you do, ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience, 
and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free. Get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?